Welcome to Ag Matters, a podcast where we talk about both matters of agriculture and why agriculture matters. Here's your host, Dr. Amanda Stone, Mississippi State University Assistant Professor and Extension Dairy Specialist. Welcome to Ag Matters. This is Dr. Amanda Stone, Extension Dairy Specialist at Mississippi State University. Today I have Dr. Clay Cavender with us. Um, do you want to introduce yourself, please? Yes, uh, Amanda. Thanks for having me. My name is Clay Cavender. Um, I'm an Extension Equine Specialist here at Mississippi State University and a professor in the Animal and Dairy Science Department. So we appreciate you coming in. Um, do you want to tell us a little bit about horses and the industry in Mississippi or the nation? Yeah, I think it's a pretty misunderstood industry by those of people that aren't in horses. Uh, you know, the, in the state of Mississippi alone, there's around 113,000 horses. And um, when you start talking about states in the size of Texas and California, those numbers dra- drastically go up. But uh, even within the state of Mississippi, where ag in general is a very popular thing, uh, row crops are obviously a big thing, poultry is a big thing, horses are right there with it. You know, I think it's like number two, number three commodity in the state. Um, and when you when you really think about that in terms of a livestock species that's not a meat carcass animal, it's pretty significant because there's so much that goes into the GDP within the state, within the nation, or money that goes in the state. Um, horses are a significant impact on that. And when you when you really break it down, there's about 70 to 80% of that's just recreational and, and for fun. So it's a, a, a different animal, if you will, uh, and a commodity that is used primarily for recreation, but um, does make a significant impact mm-hmm. within the state and within the nation. So you mentioned Texas and how there's more horses in Texas, and you lived in Texas for a while. So can you kind of tell us the differences between Mississippi and Texas or that type of area? Yeah, it, it's it's definitely a a, a different. It's, it's very different. Um, horses in Texas are such a big deal. Of course, there's more people. Obviously, that's mm-hmm. a, a bigger thing. But uh, you would think with so many people in Texas, especially in North Texas, it's kind of the horse trainer capital of the of the U.S., especially for stock type horses. And you'd think with so many professionals in that in the state and so much activity of, of horse activities, horse shows, some of the, the largest, pretty much all the huge big horse shows are either in Dallas, Fort Worth, or Oklahoma City, so relatively close to, to Texas. You'd think that um, for the smaller trainer or the, the, the guy that's not training to that level, there wouldn't be as much horse business, but that's wrong. Uh, there's so much enthusiasm about horses in that state that um, there's a lot going on, and that that's a it's a different it's a little different here in terms of especially the interest level. The interest level here is more uh, along the speed event side. We're out there, it's the cow horse and the reining and mm-hmm. um, the show events, you know. But here we got more speed eventers and that kind of thing, and the show horse industry is a little bit a little bit smaller, but still relative for for the state, we do have quite a few opportunities to show horses in Jackson and Meridian and Tunica and um, Gulfport, and there's quite a few local areas to get horses shown which is which is really nice Mm -hmm. so for cattle right which is my background we're obviously trying to get a business out of it and make money off of them how do people do that with horses uh that's a great question it's more entrepreneurial it's it's more thinking outside the box because we have a different hurdle to to jump than what the typical livestock uh, animal does and i keep saying livestock because Horses are, are livestock species. They're not a, a companion animal, um, especially when you start thinking about all the other things that people think they, could, they can use 
in replace in place of the horse, like four wheelers and side by sides and all that kind of stuff. The general use or thought of the horse is not quite the same. But still, people. Um, I mean, there's a ton of horse trainers out there that train for for other people and market their own themselves through buying and selling and trading horses. And um, there's so many. There's so many. Like I said, there's so many enthusiasts out there. And if you think about, like what I said before, the recreational aspect, which is 70 to 80 percent of our industry, um, we're talking about people who can afford to have horses, so they can also afford to pay trainers and to mm-hmm. buy nicer end horses and so uh, I think that's probably generally where the market comes which is not different from the cattle industry really mm-hmm. uh, the cattle industry has the same thing the part the segment that we don't is the meat part mm-hmm. but cattle guys are buying and selling cattle and fitting cattle and fit, cattle fitters are a huge deal mm-hmm. and and that's where our the makeup I think of our industry comes from the one thing we don't think about a lot especially and, and I'm guilty of it too is we don't even consider the race aspect of it Mm-hmm. Um, you've got within AQHA and the stock horse breeds, you've got stock type racing, and then obviously you've got thoroughbred racing that's global. Uh, but we're, we're thinking about, you know, you, you add in that aspect of things, and we're talking about horses that are selling for hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars. Um, and then all of the people outside the horse industry that are involved with betting and that kind of thing and, and mm-hmm. enthusiasts of racing. So it is a, a very big thing. It's just a little bit different um, – I have to, as a person who wants to try to make money in that industry, I have to think a little bit more outside the box than a general cattle guy. Mm-hmm. And that makes sense. And speaking of racehorses, so I spent some time in Kentucky when I was working on my master's and PhD, and there's a racetrack, um, Keeneland, in Lexington. And they have been in the news lately that they've been having problems with horses getting hurt racing and that type of stuff. And I think a lot of activists, maybe animal rights activists, have been targeting racehorses as a result. Have you seen that? nationally or is that a big issue that's that's not nothing new Mm -hmm. i think we have these cyclical waves of things that happen that bring it to the public attention but it's not anything that's relatively new you start (coughs) thinking about back to the publicity the eight bells got and uh uh, what was the horse uh brown um big brown Brown. Mm -hmm. yeah and so those are national attention things because they're happening in places like keeneland and Mm -hmm. uh in in Louisville and, and those kind of places that are big deals. But uh, if you really think, and it is a concern, mm-hmm. it really is a concern. It's a concern on a lot of different levels. And, and, and people like to start thinking about the footing. And that's a big hot topic is what kind of racetrack footing do they have? And, uh, but, but more or less, I think we're seeing some push on the research side more to like glycogen sparing and how we're feeding horses. And, and that's a, that is a never ending point of research. Um, you mm-hmm. think at this, it's just like it follows human nutrition. If you look at human nutrition, how it's all, we got to always, always have something, you know, it's always protein's a big concern. But now lately probiotics have been a huge concern in human nutrition. And mm-hmm. uh, if it says probiotics on a package, people buy it. Mm-hmm. And it's no different in the horse world. And so we're trying to feed these horses to be athletes. And what we see a lot of times, probably from my uneducated opinion about horse racing, I think more of our thought process or more of the light should probably be cast on the variation in distance. So when you think about the three, and what I mean by that is you think about the three big races, the Triple Crown. Mm-hmm. Each one of those races gets longer and longer, and they're only two weeks apart. And so we're taking these three-year-olds, and we're mm-hmm. running them to capacity, and they're training for a certain distance, and then we keep adding distance, and we're not uh, – and, and they're, they're, fuel tanks are low. Mm-hmm. And then what people really don't think about is if you look at the the 
I'm not sure how we're getting on racing, but it is. <laughs> yeah. You start looking at the the 20 horses that go to the Kentucky Derby versus the last leg of the Triple Crown. There's only three or four or five of those horses that were in the Kentucky Derby uh-huh. that are in that race. Yeah, I never actually thought about that. They're, they're, yeah. they're, they, these top two or three contenders, especially if we're going for a Triple Crown, that one or two horses that's there from the beginning to the end it's competing in the end with horses that got fresh tank. Uh-huh. And so we're pushing those horses pretty to a, to a high level. Mm-hmm. And, and, and we're exerting a lot of force on them. So there's a lot of issues that, that need to be brought up in, in that regard. But, um, you know, the way trainers are training and, mm-hmm. and, and the amount of time they're given to train and what age these horses are. And, and that's another thing. People really want to start cracking on we shouldn't be training horses at two and three years old. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I hear that often. You know, that, that's mm-hmm. another topic of discussion probably. Mm-hmm. Well, we'll bring you in for another episode okay. for that. Right. <laughs> but you mentioned um, like exercise physiology type research. Is that what you do or do you do more nutrition? Or Man, I, I'm a I'm a jack of all trades. I, 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 my training and my background is in reproductive physiology. But, you know, with, with every industry, things evolve. Mm-hmm. And so I try to – I'm an opportunist. I try to find those things that are um, – where the money is and the research side, but it's also applicable. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I like applied stuff. How's it going to save or make me a dollar is what I want to, that's what I want to research. So mm-hmm. uh, the past five years has been more on the nut- nutrition and exercise front. Mm-hmm. Awesome. And are the Mississippi producers, you're, you're an extension, right? So are they learning things from your research or from extension events or how are you teaching and getting that information yeah that's that's another that's a interesting question too because uh right before i came over here i revised an extension publication on forage quality and quantity in the state of mississippi so yeah we're always taking ideas that we gain or garner from research and trying to force them into an extension publication that's readable understandable Mm -hmm. usable uh on the production front you know guy that's out there trying to make it uh make his management operation bigger and better, doesn't want to read a 10-page research publication with jargon he doesn't quite understand. So it's our mm-hmm. job as research scientists and extension, especially to to basically convert what we're doing in the research mm-hmm. areas. So that's the other thing that's really funny is a lot of times we get so mindset on research, but if the research stays in your desk drawer on your computer, it's mm-hmm. invaluable. Mm-hmm. It's, it's pointless. Yeah. But if we can as extension specialists take not even our research, but anyone's research mm-hmm. and convey it on a front that is good for um, the, the guy out there in the in the fight mm-hmm. and help him in his operation that's or her or her absolutely <laughs> absolutely in the equine business predominantly her <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah for sure so I think that's that's something that helps me mm-hmm. um, you know we all have days when we wonder like okay am I doing what's is what i'm doing making a difference uh-huh um, that's a hard question to answer it i is. feel like an extension because you it's don't huge. know how you're impacting people yeah because no one usually the guy that's mad at you he'll make sure he emails <laughs> you but the guy that's really happy with what you did he's not doing nothing yeah. he's, he's busy so listeners make sure you email dr cavender and tell him no, no I, <laughs> I, I just think it uh, i have we all have to be comfortable with what we're doing sure. as long as we're doing our best that's what matters and so mm-hmm. uh i think keeping that mindset of conversion of research into extension and education mm-hmm. is extremely important to our college kids here on the MSU campus, but uh, really vital to the general public. Mm-hmm. 
And so in, in Mississippi, at least, do you see more people having like one or two horses or do you see large operations? Like when I lived in Texas for that summer, we had hundreds of, of horses, right? Do you see more of one or the other? Yeah, uh, definitely more one and two horse owners. That's the heart, the meat and soul of our horse industry. That's okay. it. You know, we take these college kids, we take them to, you know, horse judging contests of the world and the Congress and reigning fraternity, cutting fraternity, all these big shows that we all like to watch either online or we make sure we look. Kentucky, we've been talking about racing. We all watch mm-hmm. Kentucky Derby and we see the big hats and the glitz and the glamour and mm-hmm. the fancy trucks and trailers and nice saddles and all that stuff. And we think that's the horse business. Mm-hmm. That's not the horse business. That's 10% of the horse business. How many people can compete in that realm? Either uh-huh. financially or knowledge-based, how can you? It's hard to compete in that realm. Mm-hmm. Um, those guys doing that at that level are the guys that are training those horses to do that at that level are the one percent or less probably of our our horse population. The, the mm-hmm. meat and potatoes of what we do is the average mom and pop type deal that own one or two horses because they love horses and they want to be um, around horses and they love that world or they always dreamed as a kid of owning a horse and now. At 40, they can afford one, and you know what I mean? And, or or uh-huh. they want to live that through their kids, so they start bringing their kids up. One of the questions I used to ask, I, I taught a class at Texas A&M every semester. that had 150 kids in it, and it was split. It was, uh, it was an intro course, so it had 75-ish non-majors mm-hmm. and 75 majors. So I'd always ask the question of the group, how many of you are first-time horse owners? We're talking 18- to 20-year-old kids. And out of 150 kids, I'd say on average – um, when I said, how many of you are first-time horse owners, more than half raised their hand, hmm. meaning that mom and dad didn't, on, didn't know anything. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, again, how important is it for us to bring education to the community, whether it's written uh-huh. or getting out there into the county, and that, that brings the importance of our county agents to the top or the forefront, you know. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's a huge part of what we do is the guys that are novice to intermediate-type knowledge or experience based Mm -hmm. and so when i've traveled to other countries european countries in particular horses i think as a whole are viewed more as livestock as compared to then compared to here where they're viewed more as companion animals even though we in animal and dairy sciences know they are not yes they are livestock Um, but i think there's a misconception of that right horses are cute but I think cows are cute too, but they're still livestock animals. So there's the uh, a little bit of a bias going on. But the horse slaughter is not legal in the U.S., correct? Um, yes, yes, and no. The USDA um, a- examining those horses for you know just like a, all cattle and swine go through the carcass go through USDA inspection. The inspectors are not being paid to to inspect those facilities. So basically indirectly okay. does away with them. Okay, I got it. Um, so in the European countries, right, it, it is more legalized. And, and I had horse when I was in Elgin one time, and I've told you before that I did not care for it, but I would try it again. Um, maybe it was just how it was cooked. But here, I think there it used to be legal, and something happened. So can you walk us through those changes and when and how they happened? Yeah, I think it was 2006 when that all went down. Um, Man, that you know, and again, I'm sure there's a lot of listeners that are, that are adamant, one and both ways, you know, one way or the other. But <coughs> I I see it firsthand, and and I understand kind of both sides of it. I understand the nostalgia, 
people think, wow, we shouldn't be slaughtering horses. They're such an mm-hmm. icon of American history. And, and I, I agree, they're a beautiful animal. But when you take in all considerations of welfare, mm-hmm. animal rights activists and animal welfareists, are, that's two different things. Mm-hmm. And so when you take into the consideration of welfare, the best route of health and livability for that animal, my opinion, slaughter was important. Mm-hmm. Um, when we start thinking about, there's so many indirect things that, that people don't think about. Uh, when you think about like uh, BLM horses, then we have a group of people in the U.S. that think that we should let horses run free and mm-hmm. roam free just like they did in their natural habitat, which sounds so wonderful. Mm-hmm. There's so many indirect things we don't think about. What about how much farmland we're taking away from general agriculture in doing that and how much that disrupts the the uh, crop base or right. other food livestock, supply. food mm-hmm. supply in general. Yeah, Th- that's indirect things. But I would say it's really summed up in this question. Is it better for a horse to be humanely euthanized in a slaughter facility that is appropriately ran mm-hmm. or facilitated and he's healthy to that point as far as nutrition goes or maybe he's, re- he's 20 years old and he's reached the end of his life and he's got mm-hmm. some lameness issues or whatever? Or is it better for him to starve to death mm-hmm. on the plains of Nevada with no food source mm-hmm. and, and slowly um, perish away? I, I mean, that's, that's something we have to think about. Mm-hmm. When I think something that, that some people probably don't realize is that people will find a, a way to get around things, right, if they have to. And, like, again, when I was in Texas, we would sometimes send horses that were no longer fit for the reproductive op- um farm that we were on um, to Mexico to be slaughtered because it was legal there at that point. I don't I don't know if it still is, um, but the conditions are probably not as regulated there. Right. And so it's it's a little bit scary. I think that there are still options out there, like starving them out in the plains or sending them to a slaughterhouse that isn't as regulated as what our USDA would be, because we do have the safest food supply in the whole world before. Uh, a general horse owner who the horse is, you know, end of the use, mm-hmm. whether it's sickness, illness, lameness, old age, whatever it may be, mm-hmm. they had an opportunity, a route to get some kind of income back from those horses, mm-hmm. you mm-hmm. know, by taking them to a to a uh, slaughterhouse, but uh, or a, a kill sale, a kill buyer, or whatever. But now uh, that's not there. Mm-hmm. you know, as, as easily and readily available. So it really hurt the horse market, and, and, and we've rebounded. Mm-hmm. It's getting better, but horse sales definitely decreased drastically right mm-hmm. after that. So, mm-hmm. And I know there's a lot of angles to it, so um, I, I understand the people that are against uh-huh. it. Sure. I understand that, but, but I think we need to look at all of it. Mm-hmm. And there's no, you know, there's no 100% right answer. <coughs> we got it, it's, it's our job to try to find the 80-20. Uh-huh, which is complicated. It definitely. is very complicated. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Um, so on a, a lighter note, maybe <laughs> get away from horse slaughter for a minute. Um, you talked about the economic impact briefly about the horse industry and not just in Mississippi, but everywhere. But can you kind of talk about how directly and indirectly it's impacting our economy? Like they're obviously buying feed, they're buying tack, they're doing all these other things. Can you talk on that? Yeah, yeah. You know, there's some statistics out there that says that the GDP produced from the horse industry is comparable to apparel manufacturing, oh, wow. tobacco manufacturing, and the motion picture industry. Huh. Now, what's, what's interesting to me about that is apparel manufacturing, you know, we all should wear pants. 
<laughs> but we all don't have to buy horse stuff and related uh-huh. products. So, and, and that's not even taking, I don't even think that's con- even considering uh, spectators. So, you know, wow. a, lot of, a lot of horse events are not um, cost, cost, you don't have uh-huh. to pay to go into them. But when you start thinking about even just the general people paying to go to watch the cut fraternity, you go to the finals at fraternity at Fort Worth, you can't get a seat. Wow. Uh, so, and they're paying to go into that. So, um, yeah, it's, it's humongous to, to think about how much money we're pumping into the economy on buying tractors related to horse farms or feed, um, tons of things like you mentioned that are, mm-hmm. that are affecting the GDP. Hmm. That's really cool. I didn't realize it was that high of a number. That's awesome. Uh, so if somebody wanted to get into <laughs> horses if they are a first generation horse interested person how do you think they should go yeah uh, you know when I ask that question at A&M about how many of you are first time owners and I will usually follow up with how uh, how respectable that is because it mm-hmm. is a hard business to crack mm-hmm. um, so there are so many different fronts and I think the best thing to do is understand where you fall in where, where you're falling into and let's, let's say for instance the, the you're you have a little boy and let's say that you want to buy him a horse and you don't know anything about it the the first line is to find general education mm-hmm. and that can very well be handled at the county level your county extension agent that's what they're there for mm-hmm. um, and then those guys if they're not helpful on the horse front because they're more cattle minded or whatever they have me to fall back on so they, they've mm-hmm. got a route to to find education there's so many things out there from horse safety videos that we created. There's extension publications on proper nutrition and handling and all that kind of thing that goes into that. Uh, but the, the first thing I would say that for the first generation owner would say, do your homework and find out mm-hmm. what are the costs. The buying a horse, I don't care what the price is, is probably going to be the, the least cost associated with horse ownership. Mm-hmm. These are animals that roundabout numbers. I mean, this is a rough number, but you're going to be paying... 18 to 2200 dollars a year in upkeep mm-hmm. just to, just to have a horse and that's if you have them on your actual farm or yeah land, if you right? don't and you're adding in their boarding costs then yeah. that goes up which can be bit. really expensive yeah, for mm-hmm. sure and then driving back and forth and taking care of them yeah horses sure. are are a lot of work like all but, livestock of all livestock but all livestock what, what we have to think, I think the cost um, comparison is what is the life skill development that we bring to the table? Uh-huh. It's a lot better than Nintendo. <laughs> it's a lot right. more expensive, uh-huh. but it's a lot better in terms of the life skill development those kids gain through those projects. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Yeah, when I was riding horses when I was little, I remember my parents would always say, like, it keeps her out of trouble, so they're willing to pay the cost. And I think there's probably a lot of truth to that, to, to any livestock that you're working with. It teaches kids a, a lot of useful skills. Yeah, you know? we, just just do the, do the, just look into it. And how many people that are drastically over the top in our industry or so, society in trouble were involved with hanging out in the barn? Mm-hmm. Sure, probably not very many. Most of them are usually stowed away in their bedroom playing video games. and mm-hmm. Nothing wrong with video games, sure. I'm not saying that. But uh, I think people do get scared. And a lot of times I get asked to talk about this sometimes, about the cost and, and benefit of ownership. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to scare anybody away because the costs are high. Uh-huh. But, uh, but people could also go and take 
lessons or something somewhere else, right, and not actually own a horse? Is that not That's another. There's, there's actually two great routes, and you just brought up to my attention that one, one is that. Yeah, there's so many places that um, you can go pay for a lesson and hang out in the barn um, and use their horses, their saddle, you know, and that's all involved in that, that single cost. And mm-hmm. the great thing is you go home and they take uh-huh. care of it, you know. <laughs> Uh, so there is that opportunity. And then there's also things, especially for kids, and this, would, this I should back up for a second. That should probably be, this should probably be the first line of getting your kid an understanding horse, the responsibilities of horse ownership and all that goes into it. And that is all the opportunities we have with non-horse owning educational things like horse bowl, hypology, uh-huh. horse judging. And I think most livestock species have that, you know, whether it's uh, livestock judging, horse judging, whatever it may be, uh-huh. dairy cattle judging, whatever, uh-huh. you know. So all those things are going to bring the education straight to the forefront. So before you ever own a horse, you know what it takes to manage them and what goes into mm-hmm. that and what's good and what's bad and whatnot. Mm-hmm. And talk to your county agent to yeah, figure out how to get in. Though. And there's no cost to that. Mm-hmm. So then you can really, especially if you're dealing, I had, uh, we're probably running out of time, but I had, a, I had a person come to me just last week. And I said, I want to buy a horse for my kid. And I heard that, like, I can go buy a BLM horse, you know, Mustang, and they can learn how to train it. And I said, how old is your kid? And it's like five and seven. Oh, wow. Do not match the age of the horse and the age of the kid. That they're not, <laughs> they're growing up together is not a good combo. Uh-huh. Some of those horses we talked about before that are over their age of use limit, you know, they're uh-huh. 18, 20 years old and may have some lameness issues, maybe the perfect ki- uh, kid's horse. Uh-huh because they're not going to go fast and they just want to walk around and have a good time and mm-hmm. gives that kid an opportunity to learn a little bit. So, and those are cheap, mm-hmm. you know, to some degree. Yeah. Um, comparatively. And comparatively, yeah. yeah. So there's a lot of ways to navigate those waters if you really get down to it. Awesome. Well, I appreciate you coming on to Ag Matters. And um, if anybody is interested in contacting you, can you um, give them your website or Email address? Yeah, the, it's just my, my email is my name, Clay, C-L-A-Y, dot Cavender, C-A-V-I-N-D-E-R at msstate.edu. All right, perfect. So that was Dr. Clay Cavender um, with Ag Matters. Thanks for tuning in. Be sure to like and subscribe, and we hope you tune in next time. Ag Matters is produced and supported by the Mississippi State University Extension Service. Mm-hmm.